HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and uh, today we're going to talk about the chicken industry with one of my very favorite guests, Amanda Hitt, who is the uh, director for the Food Integrity Campaign at the Government Accountability Project. Um, Amanda, you and I met, I'm thinking it's got to be 10 years when Timothy Patcherat mentioned you to me uh, because of his book, Every 12 Seconds, which was kind of the beginning of my meat odyssey, <laughs> if you will. And, and um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and we have, you have been coming on the show ever since. It's just amazing to me. It's been such a long time. So cool. It's, it's so good to be back too. I, um, I have a friend of mine who also appeared on your show and she said, you know, when you and Katie get together, she's like, it's just a, it's just a, two of you laughing the whole time. I said, <laughs> I'd like to think there's a little more substance to these conversations. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think that. Who was yeah. that person? <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you when we're off the air, but it's a former guest. She, I think she's jealous of our rapport. If you oh, must. that could be. That could yep. be. Anyway, so today we were going to talk, um, unfortunately, our other guest, Rudy Howell, um, who is a chicken farmer in, I think, is he in Mississippi? Uh, he's in North Carolina. Sorry, actually. North Carolina. Okay. Um, unfortunately, Rudy uh, was unable to join us, um, not because he didn't want to, but because he has connectivity issues. And when we talk about the Build Back Better plan being advanced by the Biden administration, it is absolutely directly connected to uh, Mr. Howell's difficulty in getting onto the internet on a, you know, sort of consistent and regular way. I mean, that's just like right there, the broadband access, got to make that happen so that we can have people like Rudy Howell come on and talk about his experiences. So, um, but you're going to stand in for him, Amanda, right? Because you know everything. You, The Government Accountability Project and the Food Integrity Campaign, which you lead, have been uh, actually hired by Rudy, correct? We are his his, uh, his attorneys. That's correct. We are, um, just to, for folks that are interested, um, so all our work is is large or not all of our work, but the majority of our work, work is pro bono. And yeah. when it's not pro bono, we call it low bono, which is <laughs> ext- 
extremely low, uh, well below market rates that uh, we help folks out with. And that's not just a food integrity campaign, but all government accountability project. Right. Amazing. You guys are an amazing organization. I actually urge people to go check out the website for the Government Accountability Project, because um, in addition to the work that Amanda oversees with the Food Integrity Campaign, there are many, many, many other campaigns uh, all running simultaneously with a number of different attorneys uh, who are trying to get basically industry to do the right thing and government to do the right thing. But so we're going to talk about um, Rudy Howell. And Rudy uh, was a grower for for the Purdue Chicken Company. Um, what what got him? Why did he contact you? What happened? So just to, for clarity, so I've actually known Rudy for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, his, um, his recent situation is just that, but for, for years now, Rudy has been um, sort of aware of this industry and that there was um, corruption and injustice at its core. And, um, you know, Rudy's been grow was growing for Purdue for over 25 years, mm -hmm. actually. And um, very, uh, outstanding, um, ranking great, you know, uh, grower, you know, of the year kind of, kind of guy, just an outstanding, um, company man. And it just, it, after a while of working in the industry and he started to realize that there were some things that maybe, uh, maybe weren't written down as clearly as they could have been, or, or maybe even in fact, he might've been persuaded into this industry, not knowing the full scope and, um, just how difficult and um, it is to be to be successful in this industry, and and I should you know for the for the listeners, um, I know we've talked about poultry before, but it's it's yeah. a good thing for you know people who are new to this conversation. In contract growing, I, I guess the best way of explaining what happens with a poultry farmer, it's they're sort of like chicken daycare for these giant corporations, right? right. So the uh, the farmers own the buildings, they pay the electric bills and they carry all the debt. And then these companies come in and grow. That's where the term growers comes from. Grow the birds inside the farmer's facilities. Right. And in, a, in essence, basically, they own the companies own the profit, the farmers own the debt. And they engage in these contracts that are by, you know, without question, or they're what we call contracts of adhesion or one-sided contracts or take it or leave it contracts. Mm. These companies come into these rural communities and sell these farmers this whole idea of wealth and generative, you know, uh, you know, generative wealth and, and, you know, keeping your family farm and uh, feeding the world. And in reality, it's, right. it's a little more than a scam. A little more than a scam. So, in fact, what happens is, uh, as you mentioned, the the company owns all the birds. Uh, they own all the profit. The the farmer. Let's also hasten to add: not only does he own the debt for maintaining his buildings and upgrading them, which they are frequently required to do, um, but they also own all the dead birds and they own all of the manure. And um, that may seem like, you know. Not that big a deal, but when you have ten or fifteen or twenty thousand animals aggregated, or even five thousand animals aggregated in one place, uh, trust me, there is a lot of uh, waste product, and that is a is a very difficult problem, um, which I think uh, is, you know, characterizes all all of the uh, animal agriculture in this country. But it is especially a problem for poultry and pork. So anyway. Yeah, that's that's actually a great jump then for me. So it was Good. that it was that increased mortality 
um, that brought Rudy, um, you know, he was, he and his other fellow growers were, were basically getting, you know, non-surviving birds. I mean, too weak or too small to thrive. And so we, the, the term that's used and it's, it's a harsh term, but it is, it is the term of art is culling, right? Which is right. the, um, you know, if a bird is not able to thrive, it is incumbent upon the farmer to cull or, uh, euthanize, or, you know, euthanize, um, that baby chick. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly that. It was, it was that activity that, um, that the mass calling that, that brought Rudy, who was already a critic of the system, um, to allow a video crew into his facility to, uh, sort of show firsthand what's really going on with these birds, their health, their welfare. And at that time he'd made disclosures about even, uh, in, in his case on sanitary conditions, um, and things that he believed would ultimately threaten the, the, the food supply. So it was with those disclosures when he, he, those, uh, you know, those disclosures were made and those videos were published uh, very shortly thereafter, after 27 years of being an outstanding and, and, and outstanding uh, grower for, for the company. Um, sadly, Rudy's uh, contract was terminated. And that's, that's where we entered in uh, Food Integrity Campaign and Government Accountability Project entered mm-hmm. in and as more than just a, you know, concerned group, an advocacy group, but now as Rudy's counsel. Right. Now, when he talked to back up a little bit, when you talk, he, he was demonstrating that there were unsanitary conditions, which presumably he would have some control over. Was he saying, in essence, that the chicks that he was getting were already diseased or dirty or otherwise compromised, um, aside from being, say, weak? Um, and that's and that he was concerned because he was being given birds that um, could potentially infect other flocks or explain a little, you know, go into a little more depth about that. Sure. So, you know, obviously, so there's the, the part about the birds being sort of a substandard of substandard quality and, and not able to thrive. So there's that. But the when we were talking, when I when I was mentioning the, the sanitation, that mm. is actually his complaint was outside of his control. Um, again, you, it's a, it's hard to imagine, but these birds are only alive for you know a little over a month, and we're like five right. six weeks of, of age. And at the end of their grow out, when they're they're about five pounds in Rudy's case, they come with machines that are called catch machines. Again, you know, it's um, it's hard to if you haven't seen something like this. The best way to describe it is a chicken vacuum. Okay, that comes into Rudy wow. would come into Rudy's barns and suck up the chickens. Right? Jeez. It's like a, yeah, I know. It it's how it's it's how it's done. Um, at least in Rudy's case, or there's and they come in with catch crews and and they you know, pick up, get the birds that are ready to go to market, right? Yeah. Well, in Rudy's case, he was finding that the machinery that was being used at someone else's farm was contaminated with dead birds in the in there, right? Actually, oh. yeah. So somebody else's sick chicken stuff is basically coming over to Rudy's farm and they're using these dirt, this dirty equipment. Okay. And, it, and the transportation itself was compromised. Mm-hmm. And Rudy felt that it was, it was um, unsanitary and unsafe, not right. only for his flock, but ultimately for the end consumer, which is where you have to understand none of these things just sort of, this all starts at the hatchery. I mean, the, you know, like this sure. is a, this is a full chain of, of potential areas for problems. And Rudy just caught this one and he had, he had made his complaints known several times, but you know, the question is, well, what did the company do about it? Nothing, which is unfortunately 
the nature of this system. Um, Rudy is Rudy made his complaints just like most whistleblowers. Actually, more than eighty percent of whistleblowers, they don't go right to the news. They don't go to the media. They don't go to lawyers. They don't go to Congress. Mm-hmm. They go to their boss and 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 say, "Hey, there's something wrong. You need to fix it. Let's mm-hmm. make this system better." And that's exactly mm-hmm. what Rudy did. And it fell on deaf ears. Um, he even, you know, he went to the USDA. He's he did everything right, um, and still nothing nothing was done to correct this and, and other issues too. But this one was the one that um, Rudy was uh, Rudy talks about in his complaint, and um, and uh, it you know it was, it was it, I think it, especially in this this day and age where we're so afraid of zoonotic disease and transfer and global pandemics. I mean, that's mm-hmm. all on everybody's mind. Sure. It's not the time for a company to be playing fast and loose um, with their, with their transportation. Absolutely. So, you know, Rudy spoke out, which is, which is his nature. I'm, I kind of, you know, I do wish he was here because he's about as straight shooter as they get. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. You know, and, and he doesn't mince words. And if he's got problems, you know, he, he wants, he wants it fixed because, you know, his, his kids eat this, you know, eat this food too. And, and sure. he wants a safe food supply. Right, right. So, uh, so the pro- the response from Purdue was no response. In other no words, response. tough noogies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next response was, oh, "Well, if you don't like it, you're done. We're terminating your contract. You're not getting any more flocks from us." And let us hasten to add that I'm, well, I, I am going to opine here that there are no other integrators uh, within you know, sort of an appropriate distance for Rudy to then go to, say, another company like Tyson or Sanderson and say, hey, I'm not working with Purdue anymore. Can I get a contract with you? That yeah. is not that yeah. is not an option. And in fact, he probably would have been blackballed uh, no matter what, correct? There you go, right? It, yeah. you know, that, that it's not just like you can switch integrators, which is which is the name for the companies. So right. They're vertically integrated, right? Right. And it's also, you know, I, I think it's a good place because I, I, you have a, a thoughtful audience. And, I, you know, I met a lot of people who probably listen to Heritage Radio at, at Farm Aid 2021 just, a, uh, you know, a little while ago. Uh-huh. And they were like, well, why didn't, you know, Rudy was there. And they said, well, why don't, why don't you just grow your own chickens and take them to market? And I think, um, I think that's, a, you know, a normal question that most most people want to want answers to. And they're like, well, I buy from a local farmer, but I don't think people fully understand how consolidated our food system is currently. Right. Um, what you've tapped in, there is no other game in town. Even if, if Rudy filled his barns with his own chickens and took immaculate care of them and, and treated them uh, with the greatest uh, care and love and made sure they were healthy and uh, wholesome uh, birds, he would have no place to slaughter them. Right. He couldn't bring them to market. And that's the nature of the consolidation and what we the term is is vertical integration. That's right. And, and in that model, and we've talked about this before, but the way I like to see, you know, they own it from chick to chicken nugget. So every part of the <laughs> process is actually owned by this integrator, hence the term in- integrator, right? Vertical that's right. That's right. That's right. So now he did something very radical, which was that he uh, basically created a, um, I don't even know how to describe what he did in his fields, um, <laughs> but he, he essentially plowed uh, a message that could be read from the sky that was fair, hashtag fair shake for farmers. That's you right. Know, what, you know, just tell people a little bit about that because that's like so rad. I mean, okay, so- wow. 
This is not hashtag fair shake was not Rudy's first thing he wanted to tell Purdue when they gave him his walking papers. I'll tell you that. He has <laughs> well, you no, know, he, he I joke, but he, his first reaction is Purdue has this campaign and it's called not too chicken to change. And Rudy said, you know, I should just go out in my uh, my grass. He grows grass, mm-hmm. uh, gr- grass field and, and mow in the words too chicken to change, um, which would have been a powerful statement to Purdue. But um, what he did instead was uh, put this hashtag fair shake into his field. They, each letter was 90 feet tall. Wow. And the entire thing was just a shy of 900 feet long. So this this is no small feat that he, he yeah. mowed into this grass field, um, this hashtag. And what he'd done by doing that is joined his story um, with – you know, at, at you know, in, in total, over fifty-six different groups had all joined to send a message to Congress and to the USDA and anyone who who was going to listen that the current state of play is unacceptable and that there right. is a huge imbalance of power between farmer producers like Rudy and these uh, these giant corporations. And so, Fair Shake became sort of our our rallying cry for one week. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we uh, built up um, the dialogue and the um, sort of just awareness around consolidation in all parts of agriculture. But Rudy's story featured prominently. Um, we were able to do a really beautiful video. It's very powerful and very moving where Rudy tells his story. And, yeah. uh, and you see the the end result is this hashtag fair shake. So his story was among many other uh, many other stories of farmers who have essentially been left, um, you know, bankrupt uh, by these corporations and their extractive ways. Yes. And also, you know, you have to remember, too, the environment suffers for this. And uh, clearly, in in Rudy's case, the animals do. And also, you know, the communities around um, these farms. I mean, it basically, you know, they reduce these rural communities into, you know, ghost towns um, and uh, bankrupting the farmers and, and, and undermining any chance for, um, you know, regrowth and success and, um, you know, building into these communities. It's, it's a terrible problem. It's our problem as eaters. It's it's not limited to just rural communities. We cannot sustain this. And, um, it's now is that time for change. And I, you know, if Rudy was here, um, for as long as he's been fighting this fight, I think he would, and he'd want me to tell you all and tell your listeners this. He does think that now is that time. Like mm-hmm. I, I really do think we're at we're there, Katie. I I think this is a tipping point, and I think that COVID really exposed how fragile this hyper consolidation has has made our food system. Yeah, and I believe we are on the on the. All right, right on the precipice of something really big, some really great changes in the food system. Well, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, if you have an old dinosaur like Chuck Grassley talking about, you know, breaking up the monopolies, uh, there might be some chance of change uh, because <laughs> basically this has all been allowed to snowball along over the course of the last four or five decades because of the willingness of Congress to turn a blind eye. Uh, to the egregious um, excesses of these large, especially animal agricultural companies, um, really have to be stopped, basically. Um, So tell us a little bit, uh, Amanda, how is the Food Integrity Campaign working with Rudy to rectify a situation? Like, what do you you anticipate 
happening uh, in light of the disclosures that he's made, in light of whatever type of litigation he is engaged in? What, what's, what's going on from your point of view in terms of what you're going to be offering him as a uh, remedy? So at this point, we, we did file a complaint. So um, we are in the process. You know, we'll have to see where things go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably about as much as I can say about the the actual litigation itself is that it's it's in play that we okay. are uh, that has been started. We intend to remain and stay with Rudy um, and uh, until we successfully, um, you know, get this this fixed, um, not just for him, but but hopefully for other farmers. I think that um I think, you know, you know, I'm saying, oh, it looks good. You know, outlook looks better. You know, we've got we've seemed to have an incredible amount of support coming out of the White House for ending consolidation. You know, the ball is, you know, the ball is in these integrators courts. Right. I mean, they either start playing ball and start working with their farmers and producers or they're going to they're going. This isn't going to end because. While Rudy might be unique in that he's spoken up, he is certainly not alone in what he has, has he has endured as a farmer. Right, and right. I, I promise you that there are many, many more. I think we'll probably get to that many, many more uh, observation, you know, further along in, in today's discussion. But um, Rudy is certainly not alone. And if you look at, you know, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but if you look at, at some of the reforms that are in the works one of them, and maybe chief among them, is to demand that these companies stop this retaliation against America's farmers. Yeah, they have, they've gone through enough. You know, you either yeah. start listening, but you you the you know which for, which is to your own benefit, or or you're going to have to you know you're going to have to make amends for a lot of years of of being a, a bully, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know we we do hope to level that playing field and, and shift that balance. Well, out. a guy like Rudy, does he want to be reinstated? I mean, I, I, you know, I would be kind of done with the business. Um, but is that even possible for him? I don't think it, I don't think it's possible as far as Purdue is concerned, I think. Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously that, I mean, Rudy didn't set out to become a whistleblower. He's not a right. rebel. Right. He's just a guy that, you know, observed enough wrongdoing and was, left unheard and unheeded for long enough that he, he chose alternative means to speak out yeah. um, because that's where he was going to be heard. And that's why I'm here today is because, because he had right. to go outside of the system. So, no, I mean, I don't think any, nobody, nobody I've ever met anyway um, has wanted to do anything but improve the system, not to destroy it and take it out. Mm-hmm. I believe over time, uh, however, that there are folks who used to be part of the system who once advocated for reform are now realizing that we just need a new system. Yeah. We, we, we can't, we can't undo the wrong that, that has occurred, nor can we correct the, the trajectory. We are, we are not, I mean, I, again, anybody who witnessed the, the emptying of the shelves, right? So they were, again, using this word we talked about, are culling the chickens, culling the, yeah. the pigs on the farms. Meanwhile, the shelves were empty. There is a oblivion event happening in our food supply chain. And, you know, it, I'm not Pollyanna enough to think that all these uh, uh, legislators and uh voted in people suddenly had a change of heart and are now love Rudy Howell. I think <laughs> I, no, I really, I, I think they've had a great awakening, right? Huh. If we don't fix this, we're in a mess of trouble. 
I mean, yeah. that's an understatement of the year. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, well, we'll see how uh, much political will they have uh, going forward. I mean, it's, um, yeah, we, luckily we have some elections coming up. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be Democrats who win them because, um, you know, I can see business going back to business as usual uh, with a Republican majority uh, taking over in 2022, unfortunately. But um, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's let's take a short break here for a sponsor drop. We'll be right back with Amanda Hitt from the uh, Government Accountability Project, the Food Integrity Campaign. And we're going to talk more about uh, sort of how these companies keep farmers uh, to heal, as it were. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Okay, so we were talking about Rudy Howell, but let's talk about another group uh, of farmers in Mississippi. And this is a very interesting issue right here because it directly um, relates to what you were talking about earlier in terms of consolidation and, um, and you know, basically consolidation and market manipulation ultimately. Mm-hmm. And that is the case of what has happened here is that a proposed merger with Sanderson Farms, which is one of the biggest, one of the big four chicken integrators and Wayne Farms, who obviously less large, but still uh, obviously very important in Mississippi. They, both of those companies, as I understand this, have been acquired by Cargill. Cargill being a major source of feed. See, this is people, you know, like this, here we're looking at vertical integration writ large because Cargill is a big grain producer, corn and soy especially. And that's what goes into feeding chickens. So it's not surprising that they would want to build those chicken companies into their model, right? So what what happened with Sanderson Farms um, that prompted this coalition of farmers in Mississippi to band together to push back against the pay cuts that Sanderson Farms said were simply, you know, a function of market correction and nobody was going to lose money? Let's, let's unpack that whole story because it's a bit complex. It is it is complex, but I, I, I mean, I think that the, the thing I would add to that is you know, so Sanderson sort of approached it as, well, we're going to go to, you know, back to pre-COVID, you know, payouts, you know, or, or something along those lines. And that was just patently untrue. I mean, they they, they announced the merger on day one. On day two, they announced, <laughs> their, you know, cutting everybody's paycheck, all these farmers' right. paycheck. Now, I guess it could have just been 
strange sort of occurrence, I guess. These things just sort of happen, or they could have been directly connected. Um, they, uh, but the farmers in Mississippi were having none of it, which I think is, remember what I was saying earlier and before the break, I do think we're at a different point now. Yeah. Um, and, and what I want to share with your, your, your listeners and with you is that the only thing that happened here is that it worked, right? It actually worked. <laughs> so yeah. like, it's not that, and I, I, you know, well, I'm normally say, speaking, I mean, normally speaking, farmers do not band together. No, no, that's right? what it, yeah. we should make that point is that these guys are basically out there on their own. They're scared to speak up. They're afraid that what's happened to Rudy Howell and Craig Watts and all these other guys uh, is going to happen to them. So normally they all keep their counsel unless they're particularly brave. And they certainly never get together to discuss these issues in a public forum. And that's what I, I agree with you. That's what makes this particular story so unusual. So I've interrupted you enough. Uh, go no, on. No, <laughs> no, you know, but you know, again, it's, it's one of those sort of teachable moments. They're not just cowardly men and women who don't right. want to speak up. Their system, their pay system, it actually pits them against each other right. where the highest performers get bonuses from their neighbors, low performance. So a low performer gets a pay cut and then the high performer gets a bonus from that cut. So the, um, so the, you know, the, the desire to speak to your neighbor is pretty much squashed, right? Cause you don't helping your neighbor can invariably lead to you receiving less money. Right. So the system itself Oof. has evolved to, really make it unadvisable in some ways to seek counsel outside of your own farm or to band together. And also, right. you know, I, there's this, you know, this aspect of whistleblowing and a lot of people don't, you know, really realize is we still in America, even if you're, you know, urban, uh, urban dweller, I mean, in America, there's still these company towns, they're company towns. I mean, people, that is, that's how you make money in some of these rural communities is working for Sanderson. Right. So if you're going to go against the company, you're invariably going to put somebody, your neighbor out of work or somebody you go to church with. I mean, this isn't, this isn't free market, right? This is, no. these are captured people. Um, I would, I, to me, it's most analogous for, you know, anybody who, you know, follows labor and labor history. It's most anal analogous to the coal industry, in my opinion, mm. um, where everybody knew how bad the mines were, but nobody could speak out against it. Lest no one, it, what little you had would be taken from you. Yes. So it's, it's not an, it's just not an option to organize. Um, also, you know, just protections that, you know, are generally there as a function of law for other uh, sectors are not there for the ag folks. So again, um, there's, there's obstacles to actual organizing and mm -hmm. that goes into, and just very briefly touching on it is that they're, they are, they are uh, classified as independent contractors, not employees, which I firmly uh. disagree about. I mean, they, it's just a BS uh, thing, but, but nonetheless, they're, independent contractors. Uh, right. so, so no unionization, no, no, no protections of any kind that could right. be extended to Right. And I think you have to understand that. The, the, the impulse, of course, Katie, is to, you know, ask, you know, well, 
you know, wow, why, if it's so bad, why did you stay? It's so bad. You know, right. why did you stay? You have to, you should change the, one should change his or her, you know, question here. Say, instead of saying, well, if it's so bad, why did you stay? It, you have to start wondering what, what power and force could there be there that kept you there? Right. That's mm. the question. It isn't what made you stay, blame the, blame the victim. It's right. like, what level of power and authority are we dealing with here? Right. That makes it impossible for farmers to get out of the system or effectively and safely speak out against it. Right, right. Let's let's talk for a minute about the Packers and Stockyards Act, um, because suddenly that has been revived as a tool with which to roll some of that power that you're talking about uh, back so that farmers uh, get that quote unquote fair shake. Um, and uh, Vilsack, who had an opportunity to work on uh, the Packers and Stockyards Act during the Obama administration, ultimately did nothing. Um, how committed do you think this administration is? How committed will Tom Vilsack be as an advocate for uh, especially animal agriculture uh, f- uh, f- farmers and producers? Um, and and what, what kind of reforms are they talking about that would have an impact on these guys? Yeah, that I mean, so I, I guess just to uh, clarify, so I, I I would classify what Vilsack failed to do as is that he did do something that was too little, too late. Um, mm-hmm. That's that would be the category that I would put that in. Um, it certainly was not um, for a lack of knowledge of the situation or concern about it, but um, the rollout just with you know to to give farmers an effective bill of rights through the Packers and Stockyards Act just didn't. It didn't happen in time. And then Trump came in and, you know, and then he comes up with this new rulemaking that basically memorializes all the bad things that we as advocates were trying to change. Mm -hmm. So here we are again, Vilsack, you know, version um, (laughs) 2.0. And the question is, well, what what's happened? I, I, I go back to, you know, I really think that that the biggest change has has been the sort of awakening to the fragility of the food system. Yes. That requires immediate governmental um, intervention. Uh, whereas before it was, you know, recognizing, you know, corporate power, its impacts on rural communities, things that naturally the USDA should concern itself with. But now we're actually looking at the pockets, right? We're looking yeah. at money here. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but in D.C., it seems like the money things do get the attention they deserve. Um, maybe I'm jaded having been around for a while. But maybe, yeah, yeah, really? La- yeah, there's the laughing. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no, they, they, they do. Like, it, it's, it's, there's, this is going to impact the companies as well. Their avarice, their, their pursuit of profit at all costs. They're, they're, you know, we've been dealing with giant bellies and we need to, we need to start talking to brains and hearts now. Yeah. Um, the stomachs are full. They're about to rupture. Um, <laughs> you know, so we, we better do something about it. I think Vilsack's impetus to change is to preserve the United States agriculture sector. Um, mm-hmm. And that means ultimately, um, you know, using the reforms that are available to the USDA uh, in other mechanisms, but most maybe clearly in my case, the Packers and Stockyards Act. Um, 
which is kind of an obscure piece of, of, you know, legislation. And a lot of people don't know about it, but this is not a new fight either, Katie. I mean, no. like last time, I mean, this is like decades of fighting this fight too. So oh, sure. everything old is new again, except for this one's polished off and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe get the attention it deserves. I hope so. You know, I mean, just to uh, kind of uh, expand a little bit on what you just said, I, at one point, uh, I think it was um, during the, it was during the re-election for Obama's second term, I think it was. I went mm-hmm. down to Congress and I was asking various congressional members, you know, what their um, stances were on agriculture. I had just interviewed Shelley Pingree from Maine. And, and she said, oh, go talk to Thomas Massey of Kentucky because I'm sometimes able to work across the aisle with him. So I go to his office and I, you know, people have listened to me for a long time. I've heard this story many times, but but it really speaks to what you're saying here. And I said, so, uh, you know, the congressman comes in and I said, oh, I, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in coming on my radio show to talk a little bit about the food system. And, you know, uh, I think we were basically, t- I mean, I was referring to sort of animal agriculture, which has been kind of something I've followed for about 10 years now. And And he looks at me and he says, there's nothing wrong with our food system. The food industry is doing a fantastic job of feeding people. And I obviously don't want to be on your radio program. And he turned on his heel and walked into his office and slammed the door. And I just thought to myself, well, you clearly don't understand what is happening. I think the reason he got mad, oh, I know. I said, oh, well, what, if the food system is doing such a great job, why are there over 40 million food insecure people in this country? And he, that's oh, when he wow. said, I don't want to be on your radio show. Um, but, you know, it was just, it was his, his assumption. And I think this is, you know, very much a widespread belief throughout congressional representatives, both House of Representatives and Senators, is that, yeah, the food system has got it all under control. We don't need to do anything. They're fine. And and, uh, you know, it is it is only, as you just said, it is only when the uh, supply chain weaknesses became apparent that we are now seeing this interest in Congress in reforming agriculture and, you know, clearly not a moment too soon. Um, but anyway, I want to just uh, I guess we should finish up fairly soon here. What you know, if the companies are chose are broken up in some way, say the Packers and Stockyards Act is updated and it starts to be enforced and various other mechanisms, uh, you know, the Sherman Act uh, and so on. I mean, all of these antitrust things that could be enforced and haven't been. What What is the ultimate impact of that going to be, do you think, on uh, farmers like Rudy Howell? How, how is that going to change things for the better for him? I, you know, one of my, um, you know, I do the this work and, I, and certainly representing the clients and, and so forth, but one of my big interest, and, you know, we didn't have a chance to talk about this is, is, you know, imagining this new day uh, uh-huh. where there is actual competition and that we're not faced with the, with these Hobson's uh, choices. You know what I mean? Where, yeah. where there's actually an opportunity for a rural farmer to produce anything other than food that is destined for uh, the animal agriculture sector. And just, just again, you know, you said you were very interested in animal ag. That's because animal, I mean, the food that we produce in the United States goes to animals. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. And, yeah. you know, there's not an opera, I mean, because of crop insurance and checkoffs and, and there's so much consolidation, there really isn't something for someone to do who's outside of industrial agriculture. There's just, there, there aren't real opportunities. I mean, you might be able to do some cut flowers or, you know, do some, you know, farmer's market stuff, yeah. but that's high risk, low return. 
Yeah. And it's much easier if you've got a huge, you know, or, or got access to land to go and take out one of these loans and put a chicken barn on it. Yep. You know, and then you don't have, you know, you get sold the whole thing. You don't have the risks, you know, blah, blah, blah. We, you know, the food, blah, blah, blah. They get, it, you get, it's, it's just, it's much, it's more turnkey and, and, and it's more of a, a real option for people entering into agriculture to just, you know, assign yourself to the industrial ag model. Mm -hmm. I mean, at, you know, like there's, you, you look at the, uh, you know this, we've talked about this, but there's the schools of agriculture, the land grant colleges. Look yeah. at the names on the buildings. <laughs> I mean, Thank you. Yeah. There's like <laughs> Prestige Farm School of Poultry. Like there's no like Joe Farmer School of How to Raise a Healthy Chicken and, you know, sustain right. your community and feed the world at the same time. No, there's only one model for feeding the world. I suspect that that was Massey's point too. Like, hey, we're feeding the world. We're just not doing it well or in a way that's sustainable. So right. if we broke down these, so the question that you know, long way here to get, go get here, but here we are. If we broke these down, what if we actually could produce climate friendly crops? Like, so here's an example. So there's, there's plants that are perennial crops, right? Mm -hmm. Which means you don't have to reseed them, put them in every year. Right. So, I mean, what if we, what if we actually had those? You imagine like the soil and, and the health of the, uh, of the environment or, or just, you know, weren't so into monoculture. Imagine what would happen if there was like a, a blight that affected soy or corn. Be yeah. devastating. Yeah. We have no diversification. And what little we have, you know, some people are like, oh, I have a local farmer. It's true you do, but the world does not have a local farmer. The world has nothing more than a serf who's a, very much a slave to an industrial model that they can't break free of because there's just no real choice. Right. I'd love I'd love to see uh, different proteins out there. I'd love it. I mean, I, I it's a personal in, interest of mine, but we've got a we've got a long way to go to change the minds of the people themselves who are quite frankly uh, very habituated to the the oppressive sort of model that they work in. This is all they've known. Yeah. And they've been told that to go against this, and remember we talked about the company town is one thing, but to go against this is is, you know, personal you know, professional suicide. You can't, you won't make it unless you're backed by the big guys. So yeah. we, we have to address that and we have to build out local markets. And at least at, at the very least, we need to start building out a parallel system that yeah. operates locally because the supply chains are, are just too fragile to sustain. It's, that's right. It's not an opinion, okay? Like that's, that, right. this is how we, this is where, what happens when you do, as you said, you know, 40 or 50 years of unchecked um, and unmitigated consolidation. Yeah. You find yourself at the, at the, you know, at the wrong end of the gun, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but, you know, I've always often thought that these industries are strangely, you know, sort of sociopathic anyway. And I think they would wield <laughs> that gun around. I don't think they have any problems if, if they shot their own foot. Um, I, their pursuit of profit is, is paramount. That's yes. But um, <laughs> it is I know, it is frightening. It is frightening. But I, I do. I mean, I have to say I feel a little bit of a glimmer of hope in that sense also that that uh, that the drive of profit of money over everything else is is starting to be a little bit drowned out by the exigencies of climate disruption, which really yeah. no one at this point can deny. And uh and, you know, when 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 push comes to shove, even the big players like Cargill or Archer Daniel Midland or any of these other monocropping major industrial worldwide players are going to have to 
have a come to Jesus moment, if about nothing else, about water and water use. And, uh, you know, that is where the rubber is going to meet the road uh, because we have got to start looking to the future in terms of preserving our water supplies because they will not with the, they will not last without that, without some serious uh, attention and husbandry uh, to preserve that. And that includes not planting water intensive crops, you know, in places where they don't belong. You know, know, it's kind of, some of these remedies are really rather simple. Um, But anyway, with that, Amanda, I'm afraid we must say goodbye to you for this particular iteration of this show. Um, Thank you so much for being Rudy's voice. And thank you so much for the work you do with the Government Accountability Project and the Food Integrity Campaign. We all eat a little safer, thanks to Amanda and her team. Um, So we'll talk to you again very soon, I hope. Thanks so much, Katie. Oh, and by the way, your website, people, whistleblower.org, right? So that to Government Accountability Project is whistleblower.org. But if you're interested in our food work, very simple, we're foodwhistleblower.org. There you go. All right. Check it out, people. There's a lot of good information on there, including the excellent video uh, that Amanda referenced at the top of the show uh, featuring Rudy Howell talking about his own situation. So um, do check it out. And thanks again, Amanda, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll see you next week, listeners. Take care. So long, everybody. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 